Today is the day to wake, work, and win. Welcome to The Standard. Zach, you're probably one of the best engineers on our job. Don't let it go. Don't let it go to your head. Too late. Uh, (laughs) But uh, no offense. It seems like a lot of people move to that engineer's position to kind of loaf the rest of their career. You stayed away from that. Like, how'd you do that? Yeah, I think uh, uh, the the culture of the engineer uh, over the years has been, you know, drive the rig and sit on the pump panel. And I, I just don't think in the fire service now with as busy as we are and with the, with the work that we have to do that the engineer can be a, be dead weight. There's so many things that we can do on a call. We can move hose, we can throw ladders, we can, and a lot of that stuff we have to do by ourselves. We can't just sit there and be dormant in the driver's seat or on the pump panel, you know. For me, we pull up on scene. The first thing I'm thinking about is where is the hydrant? I don't, I don't want my officer to be doing that for me, you know. They have other things to do other than worry about where the hydrant is. How are we going to do this? Are we going to, are we going to lay into the house? Are we going to lay in dry? Are we going to lay into a, the first rig that's on scene? Are we going to lay away from the first rig that's on scene? Those are the things that the engineer needs to be thinking about. And then that engineer also needs to know how to do that stuff by himself because the crew is going to be pulling the attack line. The officer is going to be doing the 360. The engineer has to be able to operate by himself without much direction and he has to be competent when he does that. You had a call where you, you talked about, you know, you're responding and as a driver, you took into consideration the time of day as to whether or not, you know, you'd go into oncoming traffic. But I don't think a lot of engineers really think about that. And to me, I think it is a little bit of that next level of like, there's a responsibility here when you're driving and, you know, you're actively weighing risk versus benefit rather than just getting behind the wheel and, and just going fast. Call. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as engineers, hopefully sometime in your career, you get a, you get a good seat with a good crew on a good engine company. And as an engineer, you become intimately familiar with your area. This particular call, it was a substantial call too. I mean, we needed to get there quickly. It was about 7am in the morning and we were traveling east to west. It's also rush hour and the traffic was backing up in front of us. The officer said, Let's go opposing. And I told him I'm not going opposing on this street because the sun is coming up right behind us. And I don't care how big and how loud you are, oncoming traffic is not going to see you coming coming at them with the sun directly behind you. So instead, I just, you know, I just saddled the median and went between the car and cars in the median in front of me. We didn't go 40 miles an hour down there. We had to creep, but we got through. But I'm not going to put the rig or the guys on the rig at risk and the people that are coming at me at risk just to save a few seconds, the timing just wasn't right. It wasn't, it wasn't a good move. The, the risk was not worth the reward. People say, or guys in the job say, risk a lot to save a lot. I absolutely hate that phrase, risk a lot to save a lot, because every time we show up at work, we are risking everything. You know, Our families, our lifestyle, our lives, our families' lives, our children may not have a father or a mother or a brother. We risk everything when we show up at the, at the job. So... Risk a lot to save a lot. I've always hated that phrase because we risk everything every time we go to work. Talk about that dynamic between the two guys in the front seat. You know, you're driving, uh, the officer's telling you where to go, but 
you're you're essentially a team up there, but there's rank structure involved. And I'm just curious of, you know, if you've got tips or your thoughts on navigating that, how do you handle that? How do you handle that relationship? How do you build it? I'm sure it's a lot to do with trust, but what are your thoughts on that? I make an effort to to have a conversation with the officer the first day that we are together. And at my station, we've had quite a few officers come through. And like I said, I, I asked you know, ask to have a, a, sh- a quick meeting with them. I explained to them that I am competent at this job. You are competent at your job. I, I know how to drive this rig. I'm going to do it this way. And, uh, you know, maybe you should just hold on and map us in and, and you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't. Do dr- you say it like that? Sometimes it depends on the officer. You know, I don't, I don't drive, I don't drive for you. You ride with me. That's, that's kind of how, <laughs> how this conversation is going to go. You know, if, <laughs> if they want to, I mean, honestly, if they want to drive, then they should be an engineer. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a, you know, guys joke about, uh, you know, how do you, how hard can it be to be an engineer, you know, and keep your hands at 10 and two and don't hit anything. Sure. To some extent, that's true. You could say that about being a medic too, you know, 120 over 80, you know, 70 in regular seat at the hospital. I mean, it's not that hard, but you definitely have to be a confident driver and competent in your ability as a driver to have that kind of conversation with your, with your officer and be respectful about it. But, you know, there's a lot going on in that front seat with the officer and the driver and that officer doesn't have to worry, doesn't need to worry about what you're doing. Think about the engineer position. I feel like it's a, it's a spot where, I mean, you could choose to do as little as you want, or you could be involved in every aspect of say a fire scene. If you're proactive, you know, it's, it's one of those positions that I can see how it breeds complacency, but you could probably make the most impact from that position more than any other, you know, that if you don't do anything, it's huge loss on the scene, but you could do a ton that that affects the outcome of, of a lot of scenes you're on. If you're an outgoing engineer. Yeah. I don't want to use the term freelancer because I know it's taboo in the fire service, but the engineer is on his own and he really has to know what he's doing. And to some extent, you're correct. You can hide. You can absolutely hide in the engineer spot, but eventually you're going to be found out. Eventually that call is going to come down where you have to do your job. You have to get a water source. You have to pump multiple lines and the shit's going to hit the fan and you're going to lose water or you're going to burst a hose or whatever is going to happen. And everybody on that fire scene, they're not going to be looking at the guy on the end of the nozzle. They're not going to be looking at the officer. They're not going to be looking at the chief. All those people are going to be looking at you. What the fuck is going on? You need to fix this now. You know, and if you're not dialed in, you're going to get found out. How do you prepare for something like that? I mean, yeah, you're going to get found out, but there's no time frame on that. Could be tomorrow. You know, like how do you get in that mindset of, of getting ready for that? Well, you certainly have to have the mindset that, you know, I am by myself and when the shit hits the fan, I am the one that's going to fix this, you know, if not me, then who, if I don't do this, nobody else is going to do it. I am 911. They called me to fix this problem. I can't throw up my hands and go, oh, fuck, I can't do this. Somebody else has to, has to come in. So it starts with studying, reading, educating yourself on the job, not just when you're trying to get promoted, but throughout your entire career. I mean, the minute you believe you know everything about an engineer, then it's time to promote or quit. Things are constantly changing. Things are different from the time I first started driving to now. 
just our pump pressures, our friction losses, the GPMs that we're trying to deliver. Those things are constantly changing with new technology, new nozzles, new hoses. Those things we have to stay abreast of. The other thing is staying in shape. You know, you really have to stay in shape. I know that you guys have posted on the, on the Facebook page and on your Instagram account before the, the weights of hoses. Inch and three-quarter hose, 100 feet, weighs 35 pounds empty. You know, and if you're, if you're dragging 200 feet of inch and three-quarter to a FDC, that's two lines. So, I mean, how much does that weigh? That's 140 pounds dry. And if you charge that, that's a considerable amount of, of weight. So sitting at the kitchen table all day, reading comic books and eating ice cream, you're not going to stay in shape and you're not going to be able to move that hose and you're not going to have anybody backing you up. When you're inside a burning structure, when you're on the nozzle, you always have at least one guy helping you. The engineer doesn't have that. You have to stay in shape. And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about doing 500 burpees in a day, you know? I mean, that's great. Great cardiovascular health. That's awesome. That's not going to help you move a section of five inch with water in it. You have to be doing deadlifts. You have to be doing power cleans. You have to be doing squats. To some extent, you have to be doing bench press. These big compound movements that keep you strong and able to move this shit by yourself. You have to be doing good core exercises so you got a strong back, not a little bitch back, and that you're able to fucking move hose. I mean, that's, that's just the soup, the soup and nuts of it, you know? I mean, is it something that you find yourself doing regularly that you're having to get off the pump panel and, you know, stretch a line yourself? That is definitely not my primary job. You know, my primary job is to get water and to protect the pump with water. Because if I don't do that, the guys inside, you know, all they got is a limp dick in their hand. But you definitely have to know how to stretch hose. You know, once those guys make entry into the building, you've got hose in the yard, hose in the street, hose getting under cars. You definitely have to be moving that hose and helping them get it in through that, that portal of the building. Sometimes I'm even masked up on a fire because I've got my, my fucking snoot in the front door hauling hose for the guys. They're already getting their ass kicked inside. They don't need to be dragging 200 pounds of line in the yard too. So yes, you are pulling line. Sometimes these guys pull a primary line, and for whatever reason, second due engine company is whatever. You know, they're delayed, stuck in traffic. They're out of position. All these multitude of things that could slow up a, an engine company, sometimes they have to pull a secondary line. And at the very least, you get into position, lay it dry, and then hopefully you can charge it. So just because you're driving and you're pulling levers and hiding on the pump panel, so to speak, doesn't exclude you from having to be still having to be a fireman and still having to know how to pull hose, where to put that hose to make an effective knock on the fire. What are your thoughts on getting in your turnouts driving there? I mean, I know that there are some drivers who say that, that it's like a safety issue to be wearing your bunkers, but you know, even if you think that the call might be, you know, bullshit, you still dressing out? First of all, there's no such thing as a as a fake call, you know. They're they're all real and I can tell you that Pardon the pun, I've been burned by it too. You know, you show up, you're responding to a non-emergent burglar alarm activity at a, at a restaurant and you pull up and you can see that the kitchen's on fire. And I mean, that's a real oh fuck moment for sure. It depends on the call. At the very least, I'm putting on my bunker pants, but my primary job is to get the guys to the scene safely and quickly. Me being in full bunker gear behind the driver's seat is not one of my primary concerns. As soon as I hit that air brake, 
depending on what we're doing, I'm getting in my bunkers, you know. If I need to get a water source or something, bunkers are coming later. But eventually I'm fully dressed out. Depending on the call, sometimes I'm on air as well, you know, because sometimes you're the smoke is blown over the house or, you know, that that truck is on fire and the smoke is coming over the top of you or for whatever reason, you need to be on air and to be able to see. So when you get on scene, how do you feel about the timeliness of tasks being completed, like how quickly they get done? You know, is that important? I believe that we should be practicing to be moving as quickly as we can. For me, that means I'm running because the guys inside, they're moving as quickly as they can too. Obviously, when you're on the hose line, you're not going to be running through a building because you have to be assessing conditions. You have to be knocking down heat, smoke, fire, that kind of stuff. Because if you run into a building, next thing you know, you're 25 feet in and it's flashed over the top of you and you're fucking dead. But, you know, those guys, we've got 500 gallons of water, you know. And I know that that water is used as life-saving water, not necessarily water to extinguish the fire. But my job is to get a permanent water source, and that has to be done quickly so running down the street with five inch is important that's why we deadlift that's why we squat that's why we do all these things so that we can run down the street with 300 feet of five inch which weighs 110 pounds per 100 feet so that's 330 pounds that you have to drag down the street as fast as you can so when you get on scene is that going to be the first time that you've done something like that absolutely not everything i do is that is the mindset you know why am I why am I deadlifting, you know, 500 pounds? It's so that I can drag the 5 inch down the street, you know. Why am I power cleaning, you know, 180 pounds or 220 pounds or whatever the hell you're doing? It's so that I can pull charged attack line through a yard or over a car or, you know, around a tree or whatever I have to do. Again, it goes back to being on scene by yourself. Everyone's inside. Everyone's doing stuff. You are out there by yourself. You have to get it done. There's no one else coming. So you have to be strong. You have to be fit. And you have to be moving with purpose. Something that I think some of the military guys listening and some of the cops listening know, you don't move or shoot faster than you can think. It's the same with the fire service. You can be hauling ass, but if you don't know what the fuck you're doing and you haven't trained for it, you're going to be doing it twice or you're going to be doing it three times. And that's not helpful. You train to move as quickly, as efficiently as you can. You know, so you show up day one at the firehouse, you show up at my engine company and we're pulling hose. I don't expect you to be running because you're going to fuck it up and you're going to have to do it again. So maybe we do it quickly and then maybe the next day we go a little bit more quickly. And then hopefully by the time you're done on our engine company, you're hauling ass and making a difference. For that to happen, I mean, everything's got to go on the clock, right? At the engineer position, engineers should know how much water do they have on board and what are they flowing because it's not my clock. It's not some magical clock, some stopwatch that's sitting out there that we do just because we want to, you know, swing our dicks and see how proud we are of what we do. You know, if you're flowing 160 GPM on a 500-gallon tank, there is a fucking clock. It's not something I made up. There is a fucking clock. And if your pump goes dry and it cavitates and it heats up and explodes, then you're sitting on scene with a limp dick in your hand and a fucking garbage truck. You know, you got nothing. And that is what we do. We show up on scene to put out fire. That is why they called us. And if we can't do that, then go bag groceries at King Supers. I mean, fuck. I guess the thing is, is by lessening the amount of time 
we're on the outside before we go in, it's better for everybody, right? I mean, the fire growth doubles in as little as 17 seconds. So when you're walking on the outside when you don't need to be, it's just making things worse for whoever's on the inside, whether it's citizens or whether it's, it's about to be you. Those guys. Yeah, it's about to be us. So, you know, if we enter the structure five minutes later than what we could have, now we might be in flashover conditions. I would agree. You know, every fire we go to is not going to be the one where there's, you know, babies and bikini models that need to be saved. You know, it's just not. But that doesn't mean that we have to fall short when we show up, you know, because there's a garbage can on fire in the bathroom. Okay, we go in, we knock it down, you know, great, we're heroes, wonderful. Doesn't mean we can't do it like we would if it's six buildings on fire. We don't want the the big scene, the one where it counts to be the first time that we've been doing this. And that takes practice. Being able to move hose efficiently takes practice. Being able to get a water source quickly takes practice. You have to practice this stuff. It's not something that's going to come to you when it counts. A big complaint that people have, maybe it's an excuse, is like, oh, we don't have the time to train or we don't have the right equipment. And you guys got around that by building props at your station. Well, at my station, we've built several props, but the prop you're referring to is the, the Denver drill or the Mark Langbard drill. It, you know, it was, it was really easy at my station because the guys and, and gals that I work with, they're 100% all in on this job. So doing stuff like this is super easy for, for a humble engineer like me. But uh, So we decided to do the Denver drill. We all learned the Denver drill in Academy, you know, a couple ways to do it. And myself and another, and another guy on the rig decided, you know, is there a better way to do it? You, you see 100 different YouTube firemen doing the Denver drill 100 different ways. So we thought, well, let's try that out. But how practical is it to go out every day and find a place to do the Denver drill? You can't do it. So we built the Denver drill in our basement. We had a storage closet in our basement that was full of tables and chairs. Well, you know, tables and chairs. Fuck that. You can put that anywhere. So we did. And we made the we made this closet which absolute which actually is the same dimensions as the Denver drill. We put a face on it. Started doing the Denver drill to try out all these different techniques for the Denver drill that we'd seen on YouTube. And what we discovered was actually how they taught us in Academy is the best way to do it. So then we start working on it, dialing it in, finding how we can do that the most efficient way possible. And then we start putting some big, fat, heavy motherfuckers in there to see if we could do it, you know? And it's possible. You got to work your ass off. Again, deadlift, squat, bench press, power clean, all these things come into, come into play when you put these guys in the fucking Denver drill. And these are the types of guys that are going to go down in the Denver drill, you know? And if you study the Denver drill or the Langvard drill, look at Langvard. He was not an out-of-shape guy. He was not a fat guy. He was not an incompetent guy. I mean, he was doing everything that he thought was right. He was, you know, six foot one, 180 pounds, and they had tr- they, they could not get him out. And you know, at, at at our drill, we have a scale too. So before you go in, you weigh yourself in your gear. And I am, you know, I'm six foot one, 200 pounds. I get in gear and I'm pushing 260. So you show up as Gigantor, the firepotamus, and you're not gonna, you're not, it's not gonna go well. Not only are you gonna die, but your brothers and sisters who go in to get you are probably gonna fucking die too while they're trying to get your fat ass out of the fucking room. Plain and simple. It's physics. I don't make these rules up, I just follow them. 
unless you're unless you're deadlifting a thousand pounds, those big fat motherfuckers are going to die in there, and you're going to die with them. End of story. All right, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Why is it so important to have tough conversations in the fire service? I mean, you talked about having conversations with your officer, you know, right when you start driving for him. I consider that a tough conversation, but you know, in general, we got to have those conversations with everybody that sits at the kitchen table with us. Why is it so important? Well, it's, I mean, literally it's life, life? it's life and death. You know, if, if you feel that a guy or girl that you're working with is coming up short, it's your responsibility to help them along. And I'm not talking about being an asshole and saying, you know, you fucking suck. You need to get your shit dialed in. Part of the fire service, you know, duty, pride, tradition, education, and the, and the guys and girls that I work with on my engine crew, we're always teaching each other stuff. We've got a, a senior junior guy on the rig who is, well, it's not a guy, actually. It's a girl. She, uh, she spends a lot of her time, a lot of her own money, going to classes, learning stuff, how to move hose, how to do it quickly, how to do it efficiently. And, you know, we're out back with our probationary guy teaching him stuff, and she starts showing him some stuff. And I'm like, holy fuck, look at that. I didn't know that, you know. You just teach guys up. And you don't have to make it a big deal. You don't have to make them feel small. You don't have to cut their dick off. You know, you just you teach them up. And then maybe, hopefully, they teach you something too. I'm a big believer that everybody's got something to offer. Very few people are shitbags on this job. Very few. You, some of them you have to dig deeper. But the only people I, I don't have any tolerance for are cowards. That's it. But, you know, <laughs> but uh, everybody has something to offer. Whether they're the senior guy or the junior guy, everybody has something to offer. And quite frankly, depending on the day, either you're the senior guy or you're the junior guy. Or maybe you're both. You know, so everybody has something to offer. We went off on a tangent, though. You were. Well, it, it, a big part of it is, you know, from what you're saying, is it's being part of a crew where everybody holds everybody accountable. I am truly blessed and fortunate to have worked with a backseater for six years now. This gentleman has always kept me in check. He's always kept me in check. He and I have trained together. We've earned each other's respect. And even, you know, I can be just losing my fucking mind, angry, pissed off, and he'll be like, dude, you know, you're, you're being a fucking moron. Here's why. You know, check yourself. And even if a younger guy had come up to me, maybe I don't know him that well, if he presents it the right way, I'll listen to him too. You really do have to check your ego, and that that can be definitely hard for some people. Sometimes it's hard for me. How do you think you can keep that ego in check? Yeah, Zach, especially you. How do you keep that in check? I would I would say that through training, practice, working with your crew, your ego matures. It matures because then it it, it it's able to accept criticism without thinking someone's you know trying to trying to personally attack you you know I had a captain who always said don't personalize and I still struggle with that don't personalize and that's helped a lot you know because it's it's not personal if it were personal he'd be sitting at my kitchen table making fun of me yeah it's one thing we've been talking about lately is like difference between being paid and being professional there's a lot of guys out there that are paid but really all these tough conversations like the the requirement it should be to show up in shape. It's just about being professional. Yeah, and I struggle with 
I struggle with people being out of shape, being too heavy for their frame, not being strong enough to move the body weight that they're bringing because some of these some of these people actually cry, bitch, and moan when they can't do some of the things that we're doing. You know, oh, I have bad knees. Oh, I have bad shoulders. My elbows hurt. Blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah, so do mine. But I work out and try to keep my body at a manageable, manageable weight to take some of the strain off of those joints. You know, I'm not carrying around 300 pounds of redundant protoplasm and putting stress on my joints. This job, this job beats us up enough. And none of us came to this job in peak physical condition either. Most of us played sports in some way or another, and we have those injuries and those ailments that we have to combat and train through as well. So, you know, being fat and having sore joints, fuck yourself. I don't care. Work that shit out. You know, I haven't had it. My back has been hurting since 1987, you know? So. I mean, my body aches every day I wake up, so. We all know. Yeah, I know. But it's, you're going to let it stand in the way and use it as an excuse, or you just got to get to work. There are mornings where I get up, and it takes me a few minutes to to get everything working. That's because you know? you're old. It is. Hey. Are you 55 now? Let, no, I am not. I am not 55, but the the sun is setting on my 40s for sure, you know. Okay. All right. And but something should be mentioned though is I mean, yeah, you're not 55, but you're in your 40s. I mean, you're still getting it done. So, what do you say to the guys that are saying that they're too old for this? Well, there's certainly you're you're working on a frame that's seen some miles for sure. Sure. And you have to train accordingly. But I will tell you that the the weight that I am able to move now as a Sundowning forty years old is a lot more than I was when it was when I was a twenty year old. How much does that have to do with your mindset then? I don't know. I'm I'm a little psycho about that because I see, I see a twenty seven year old guy on the job, and I'm like, you know what? I can, I can, I can outwork him. I can outlift him. I can run faster than him. Most of the time, I'm wrong, but I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna try. I'm still gonna do everything. You know. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back to the station and have a glass of water and half a bottle of Advil, but we're still going to bust our ass and get it done. I'm thinking as you get older, you just kind of get more in tune to what it takes for recovery and just being smarter about the physical decisions that you make. Especially with, with our job, we all start this job and we're, we're really physical. You know, We can do the job because of our physical abilities. We're younger, faster, some extent stronger, but our brains, I mean, we're just, we're, we're mental midgets when we enter the job, you know, but we can make up for most of it because we're physically fit. So we need to be physically fit all the time because as we age, that part of the job for us is going to slip too bad. That's just the way it is. That part of the job is going to slip, but hopefully when the physical part starts to slip, now you can make up for it with the things that you've learned on the job and the mental game comes in. Beginning of the job, you're big, strong, and dumb. The end of the job, not so big, not so strong, but you're, you've made up for it with the mental game. You know, you have to find that balance throughout your entire career. Talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your fitness assessment because you know we have these zones, and zone one means tactile athlete, and um, you weren't able to reach that zone because of what you call. A, um, Poor rowing technique, I guess. But talk about that a little bit. 
Well, I was pissed off for sure because I thought the test was bullshit at first. You know, I was so because I saw these giant motherfuckers on the rower doing this thing, and they get off the rower and they'd be laying in a pile of their own biomatter and sweat, just dying. You know, and they'd be level one fire athlete, tactical athlete, whatever the fuck it's called. And I did the row, and I, and I was a, I was a level two. I wasn't that top tier athlete, and it bothered the shit out of me because those fat fuckers are on the ground dying after the row, and they're level one, and I'm done with the row, and I could go run a half marathon, you know, and and that pissed me off. So in a couple of days, I you know, I stomped around the firehouse and kicked rocks, and and I went out and bought a rower and brought it to my house, and I was you know I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pass this test and I'm going to be a, a fire athlete or tactical or whatever you, whatever you guys would call it, you know? And, you know, the, the guys the guys on my crew, they rode my ass about it. They gave me a lot of shit. They're like, what do you care? I don't know why I care. I just do. That's the way I am, you know? I do care. I, you know, I want that level one. I want the letter jacket. I want the medals. I want the pins. I want the accolades. I want people to see. Look at, look at that guy. I mean, I can give you anything you want just for participating if that's what you want. Yeah, but I, want I want to earn it. Oh, I want to earn it. I don't want it just because I was there. I want it because I earned it. I want it on my chest. I want the letter jacket. I want people to see, oh, look at that guy. I want people to know I'm better than you because I won this fucking medal, because I lettered in this sport, because I, I, you know, this is the test that they gave me, and I passed it. I, not passed it. Scratch that. I, I knocked it out of the park. Th- I, that's just the way I am. I don't take tests to fail them. I don't take tests to meet the minimum standard. I want to knock it out of the park. More often than not, I don't. But that's, you know, case in point, the first time I took your row test. I thought it would be a piece of cake. I'm going to get this tactical athlete because I am who I am and I kick ass at everything I do. <laughs> but I didn't, you know, and it pissed me off. And like I said, guys on my crew give me a hard time about that. That's fine. I know I'm a little psycho when it comes to that, but that's just the way I am. And it and it goes right back to the fire scene. Maybe I am a little psycho thinking I should get my own water source, but I don't want to have to rely on somebody else to do it for me. You know, I wouldn't really call you psycho, though. I mean, really, it's just you're setting a standard for yourself that's higher than any standard that anybody else sets for you. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, I, I understand why we have minimum standards in the fire service. You know, not everyone is going to perform like, like an Olympic athlete. There are, there are people on this job that are much better athletically than I am. It pains me to say that, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> you know, that's it, just, that's the cold hard, cold hard truth about that. But the difference between you and a lot of other people is you want to achieve that next level Right, you want to accomplish something that's out in front of you. You're you're constantly dangling a carrot out in front of you to using, get better. Using it as fuel. Yep. It's one of the motivating factors for sure. Another motivating factor for me is the oath that we all took. You know, when we got that when we got our shield on uh, on graduation day. I, I take that very seriously. Um, I take any oath that I that I give very seriously. You know, I've been married for twenty one years. Some people ask me how I managed to do that. It's because I made a promise. I took an oath. I gave my word. And the same with the fire service. You know, I can't speak for how other people felt when they were taking that oath, but I took it very, very seriously. 
you know, and I swore that I would do the job the way we're supposed to, that I would, if not me, then who, answer the call, my life for yours, whatever, whatever fire motto you want to use, I took that stuff very seriously. And I take the, the well-being of my crew very seriously too. And if I am second best, then I'm putting the people that I work with at risk too. Obviously, the, the citizens are going to suffer as well, but the guys I work with, the girls that I work with, I don't want anything to happen to them either. Not for something that I did anyway. So you've been married for a long time, and you've also done a great job raising your kids. Three daughters. Three daughters. It's not an easy task. Yeah. And uh, it seems like each one's more successful than the last. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what kind of advice do you have for a guy like me with young kids and haven't been married for half the time? I'm Roman Catholic. I don't have any other choice. It's just the way it is. I, I always preach to my kids, I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be better than me. When I was growing up, I feel that I pissed away a lot of opportunities that were literally handed to me. You know, I feel that I maybe didn't work as hard as I should have in school, and I don't want my kids to do that. And, you know, I also... I think I prescribed to my wife and I, I mean, it is a team effort too. I don't want to exclude her. We prescribe to our own way of parenting. We don't read parenting books. I'm not interested in reading what some fucking hippie from Boulder is written in some book about how to raise their kid. You know, I don't give a shit about that stuff. I do not mix words with my children. You know, I swear at my children I don't dance around their feelings so much. <laughs> if they fuck up, I tell them, and then they are held accountable for that. But it's also a team effort, for sure. My wife and I are on the same page. And when we're not, it's very similar to in the firehouse. When we're not, in front of the children, we present the united front. But there's been more than a few times where the old lady pulls me into the bedroom and shuts the door and says, you're a fucking idiot, and here's why. You know, you need to you need to fix this. You're fucking this up. And then we do. And then I fix it. And then we're back on, on course. But raising kids is challenging, for sure. Especially three daughters, two of whom are teenagers. Being involved in everything, with what they do, helps a lot. You know, showing up to their practices, showing up to their games, showing up to their gymnastic meets, whatever they do. All you have to do is, is be involved and talk to them, spend time with them. It's really kind of a pass-fail test, you know? Either you do it or you don't. But I, I yeah, my wife and I try not to, we try, we're, we're not reinventing the wheel here. You know, our kids fuck up, we tell them. Hold them accountable. You know, we expect grades at our, in our house. We don't expect a 4-0. We expect you to bust your ass. And if you bust your ass and get a C, then fine. Fortunately, our kids don't bust their ass and get a C. I hope that is what you were looking for. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, Perfect. I mean, Tom always talks about you can't lead at work if you're a dumpster fire at home. And I think you're a great example of you need to lead yourself before you can lead anybody else. Like I said, it's a team effort. You definitely have to spend time with your old lady too, you know. I actually use I, I use the old lady as an analogy for when we're at the firehouse, when we're work as engineers when we're when we're with the fire engine, you know. Fire engine takes care of us. You know, or the fire truck, whatever you drive. You know, I named, we named our fire engine 
she is part of the crew. When you're out there with the fire engine, you know, you're putting your hands on her, you're looking at her, you know, you're checking her underside, you're washing her and everything. It's just like being married, you know. If you don't spend any time with your old lady or your old man or whatever the case is, if you don't put your hands on them, you know, if you don't look at them, if you don't look to see where they're beaten up and bruised and take care of them, then they're going to fuck you in the end. And that's exactly what your fire engine, your fire truck is going to do too. You should be out there washing it, getting under it, you know, doing all your daily checks and everything. Why is your voice changing? <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting a little aroused by this conversation, you know? I'm getting excited. If you ignore the fire engine, she's going to fuck you, just like the old lady or your old man, depending on <clears throat> how you, you know, roll. If, how you roll. Yeah, exactly. Well, Zach, thanks for coming on. Uh, as always, you've uh, brought some laughs with some Knowledge. straight talk. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me. You know, I think I'd like to end with, you know, we've said some, some funny shit here today, some abrasive shit, that kind of stuff, but I honestly believe that anybody in this job can do this job if they just decide to do it. And if anybody out there is looking for help, give me a fucking call. We'll do it together. 